Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 293, Top 10 Second Editions. We like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a special episode, but especially our new Patreon backer, Yu Chen. You, you rock. All right, Anthony, we are back with a brand new episode. There's been so much going on with board gaming these days as we get to the last quarter where all the games start popping out. And in particular, what we're seeing more and more these days is games coming out in second editions. So there's a lot of different ways that games come back. You know, we reviewed Fort a few weeks ago, and that is technically the second edition of another game. But it's also completely rethemed and a lot of things are tweaked. So we don't necessarily consider that a second edition, but it is a game coming back, right? So today we wanted to talk about specifically games where the designer and the developers sat down and they said, let's do this game again, but better, right? Not retheme it, not change it. We like what we had there, but let's tweak the rules, consolidate things, redo all the artwork and put out a second edition version of that game. And we're going to talk about the 10 best of those because frankly, right now, uh, that's pretty much what the board gaming hobby is. You know, you heard our <laughs> kick into habit last week. Four of those games are just revamps of other things that already exist. So this is what we're doing. We are now in full remake, revamp, relaunch territory. And <laughs> so let's look at the best that do it. The best of the best of the second editions. Yeah, I think we've seen this in movies for many years. We've seen this in TV shows. And now it looks like board gaming is all over revamping, rebooting, soft reboot, hard reboot, refresh, repaste, uh, bringing all those things back to life. So that will be our feature review. But that's not all, Anthony. There's so much going on with BGA, and in particular, a little live stream called BGA Live. You know it. We're like, I don't know how it's already been three weeks. We're on episode four this week. <laughs> That first episode, I thought my heart was going to bust out of my chest. And now it's like, yeah, we got episode four. No big deal. So yeah, BGA Live is Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And we are going to be talking this week about King Domino. So um, we dedicated the whole show to King Domino. And that means we're going to do all sorts of discussions. But we'll also talk about like the expansion for King Domino, which is not on Board Game Arena. But we can talk a little bit about it. We can talk about the extra edition that came out, the Queen Domino. And we're even going to sit down and play a game or two of King Domino to kind of walk through the rules and show you guys who comes out on top. Is it green? Is it red? Who knows? We'll find out <laughs> this week. Just keep in mind as well, I know a couple people mentioned last week there were some issues with the titles on Twitch. I was showing the older episode title. It is a known bug. We're working on it. But if you see BGA Live is live... We are live. It is 8.30 on Wednesday. Guaranteed that's when you can find us, either on Twitch or on BoardGameArena.com. Once again, thank you all for your support. We would have not been able to have been on BJ Live as a live streaming force if it wasn't for all of you out there, your support on social media, getting people on, and especially getting people on Twitch. I know for many of you, like for myself, Twitch is something that I didn't normally use, and now it's something I'm having to use all the time. So I'm getting used to Twitch and hopefully you're getting used to it too, because we would really love for you to subscribe to our channel and especially join us in the chat 
one of the most fun parts of this live stream is having you live with us chatting away, talking about board games, investing and engaging in the conversation as green destroys red. I mean, you want to be there for that, but I don't know. There's so much going on out there. So again, thank you all for supporting us in all the different ways that you do, especially for our Patreon backers who help produce all of those episodes. We really do want to hear from you. We have so many social media contacts. So if you haven't been on Twitch, please tell us why. If you've been on Twitch and you have suggestions on how to make things better, definitely tell us why. And again, we hope that you'll join us on Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you don't, check out the videos. They're all there later on. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on at BGA Live. Let's talk about the things that's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? Question of the week this week is, what game do you actively enjoy teaching to new players? So if you had your pick of games off of your shelf or anybody else's shelves, what would you like to sit down and teach someone else how to play? Uh, Lots of good answers to this one. Uh, David mentions he would teach any game. Teaching games is something he enjoys doing. He works in learning and development for his job, so teaching is what he does anyways. His most enjoyable teachers are when he can give new people a positive first impression and leave them hungry for more. Uh, Michael gives my favorite answer. Too many poops. It seems silly, and it is, but trading cats that don't get along and trying to keep your litter box clean, well, it kind of teaches itself. Uh, Chris mentions Magic Maze, just for the look on their faces when I finally tell them that they have to do everything he just told them without talking, which is fantastic to save that to the end. Shane mentions that it's it's not really the game, it's the players. He enjoys teaching a game, depends on you know the players' motivations to learn it. We had some people say they don't like to teach, which is fair. I know... I've certainly had certain games I don't like to teach or been in certain situations I wouldn't want to teach. Anthony mentions Race for the Galaxy because it's his favorite game and he doesn't get to teach new players often because it's a long teach. And Century Spice Road because it's so simple and easy to teach to new players. You can literally set it up and teach within 10 minutes. I like teaching short, quick games. I think it's fun because you just you throw it out there. You maybe do a couple moves and show people and you just dive in. I think my favorite game to teach, though, is War of the Ring. Because if Mm -hmm. I'm teaching it, it means I get to play it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's cool because like, I'll, I'm just, I don't have to teach the whole game. I'm just like, I got this side. I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and how it works, but don't worry about all the intricacies. Here's how your side works. Here's what you need to do. Here's what this particular, whether it's the shadow or the, the free peoples, just focus on that and know that I know how to play this side and trust me not to you know, break any rules, right? Because a lot of those asymmetrical games, you feel the need to teach everybody everything. But if you really know the game well, you don't necessarily. And because it's a two-player game, you know, you can kind of just focus on what matters the most and help walk them through what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I guess for me, the game that I always enjoy teaching and just love to teach more than even playing these days is Dinosaur Island. And two reasons in particular. For one, it is actually super easy to teach. In fact, the way the boards are set out, it tells you first stage, second stage, third stage, fourth stage. You're like, oh, I don't have to like dive through the rule book and try to remember all this. It's literally on the boards, which is great because it makes it a very easy way to teach the game because it's literally, we're going to do this and then stop, do this and then stop. And and again, super easy to teach. Then there's dice rolling. So dice rolling is always fun to do. And since that's going to kind of like, populate the market 
it's not dice rolling versus anybody, but they're nice big chunky dice. That's always really fun to do. And then of course, all the kind of like fantastical pieces that comes with the game. So I'm a huge dinosaur fan. Maybe you're not, but I bet you I can get you like to really get a kick out of all the different dinosaur miniatures. And if that doesn't work, there's a slap bracelet. So you're a first player. Bam. There you go. Slap bracelet. Your first player. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's again, it's an easy teach. It's a fun game to look at. Pretty much anyone can play it. You could set it as a very short game or a very long game. That's really great about that game, too. And again, multiple expansions. So you could play with somebody who's more heavy minded versus somebody who's like, hey, I just want to play a quick on a game. Cool. Short version. Done. So, yeah, that's my pick on that. And if you'd like to let us know your pick on that, please hit us up on our social media, especially Facebook and Twitter, where our question of the day comes out every day, and we would love for you to join us. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah, so I got a fun one that I, I actually spotted a couple weeks ago, but then we talked about like half a dozen games last week so um <laughs> this is cascadia it is the new game from flat out games uh the company that did calico so if you've seen that cat game with the cats curled up on their little pillows and blankets uh this is the same company out of seattle um artwork by beth sobel who does a lot of really great just beautiful nature artwork and this game in particular you are building ecosystems in cascadia which is the pacific northwest where i grew up and that involves putting out different habitat tiles. So you have things like rivers and wetlands and forests and mountains. And then once that's been done, you put animals out there and you're trying to uh, meet the different requirements for where the animals can go and then connect them to each other to kind of combo it together. So it's just like this big, you know, modular type of puzzle game. In terms of rules, it looks dirt simple. Like I think there's three steps. You select a tile and a token that goes with it. You place the tile and the token into your environment. They don't have to go in the same spot. And then you collect different various tokens if, if something happens, you know, get bonuses or whatever. So you're just trying to, like, maximize the value of what you put out there. And obviously, because it's that kind of puzzle game, it's uh, solo friendly as well. So it's just like seeing all the different animals that I grew up around, you know, and the different types of environments and just the beautiful artwork of it. And, it, you know, it's nice to get all these games of late that are just about nature and repopulating nature or just having a healthy natural environment like we talked about renature a few weeks ago and this is kind of in that ballpark and it's just very bright and colorful and i don't know i'm very interested in it i think i might pick it up nice and who knows maybe they'll eventually one day come up with a promo and you can actually be back home somewhere in the wilderness <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so a game that i want to talk about is not on kickstarter yet but will soon be on kickstarter on october 22nd this is an expansion to a game that we've talked about a lot. It has a, a really good feel to it. It's called Grand Austria Hotel. Let's waltz. They did it. They finally did it. <laughs> they finally did it. When we talked about this, Anthony, a bunch of times, because we always said that this game needs an expansion, if not a massive overhaul with some of their issues. So looks like Lookout Game is actually bringing this out. So you'll actually get a chance to pick up the original edition and pick up this expansion there is no details yet exactly what we will see as far as this game is concerned but what information is out there 
is that this will contain five modulars. Now, personally, I'm not really sure how I feel about these modules when they come in any game because it's like, hey, you could play with this or you could play with that and this adds a little bit here or there. I honestly just like a full expansion unless there's just fun something fundamentally broken here. I don't know if there's going to be any changes to the actual base game. And in particular, the reason I'm, I'm saying that is because one of the biggest problems on this game is obviously downtime. Because when you roll the dice and you happen to be the first player to go, you're also going to be the last player to go in the game. So it does take quite a bit of time to actually play out your turn. And what really bothered me much, much more was the fact that the employee card. So this game is all about serving people in these different restaurants and then placing them in the hotel. But the employees that are in this game as cards that you'll be able to pick up if you pick up the right cards and such, they're going to give you things like, hey, here's one piece of cake versus, hey, here's <laughs> 20 victory points at the end of the game if you do this. So, you know, you're looking at your employee and, <laughs> and Anthony's over here with a, an employee that gives him 20 points at the end of the game. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not right. So that's always been a big problem in the game. There is, I guess, a little bit of a way to massage that, but it it's fundamentally problematic throughout the game. So Grand Austria Hotel, Let's Waltz, Expansions, and Deluxe Upgrade. So again, we're probably going to see Deluxe pieces to replace the little cubes that are in the game. Uh, we'll be out on October 22nd. Awesome. I'm, I didn't know that was coming. It's uh, Simone Luciani, so I'm in. Yeah. Gilly Luciani can't go wrong. And especially if they can somehow address those two issues, this would be a fantastic game. Right now, it's it's okay. It's an okay game. I really want it to be good. So I'm, I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, I kept looking at this game so many times. I'm like, I just want to add this to my collection. I know it's problematic. I just feel like I need to add it to my collection. And it's been on sale a bunch of times, but I just couldn't pull the trigger on it because I'm like, oh, I don't know how to fix that employee issue. Like, downtime is downtime. Like, again, you just have to deal with it sometimes. But the employee issue is so is so random and unbalanced where you get those cards that I'm just like, I can't. I just can't spend like 40, 50 bucks on this game. Now, maybe I could. <laughs> or more <laughs> yeah oh no 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 you're right it's all the damn ex ah, it's all the the upgraded components are gonna be like like synthetic pieces of cake in the game now <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> oh man so join us for the torture that will be probably what what do you think a 90 dollars game anthony that's a good guess yeah i think they'll try to keep it under 100 but barely <laughs> Yeah, not including shipping and everything else that comes along with it. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. Please join us on for these different Kickstarters. Obviously, if you're interested, Cascadia is up there right now. And Grand Austria Hotel, Let's Waltz, will be up there in October 22nd. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's talk about the games that we want at the table. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them. Or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn. And you know what? It's getting a little cold outside. Maybe it's the time to kind of like warm yourself up. All right, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. I got a chance to play this weekend. Truffle Shuffle with my kids. 
Uh, okay. This is a follow-up game from the three designers who made Point Salad, which came out Ooh. Gen Con last year. And nice. I love that game. That's a fantastic yes. little filler. It's a deck of cards with all these different vegetables, and they each have their own scoring mechanism on them. So every single card in the game is a different possible way to score. So you're trying to build a tableau in which you, you get what you need, but you also score the most possible points. So mm-hmm. super duper fun, super replayable. Truffle Shuffle is their follow-up from AEG. And it is, I would say up front, not quite as good as Point Salad, but still a very solid filler weight game. So here's how it works. You build out a, what do we call this? Like a drafting pyramid, like what you have in Seven Wonders Duel. And there are 37 cards in it, or 39 cards, I believe. And some of them are face down, some are face up. You never flip over the face down cards, unlike Seven Wonders Duel. So once you uncover them from the drafting pyramid, they remain face down and you take them blindly, hoping they match what you're trying to do. In your hand, you're effectively trying to build poker hands to a degree, or I guess more like climbing hands because there's not like full houses or anything. So you're trying to get either sets of the same color, sets of the same number, straights, straight flushes, um, some combinations that you can then play. And every turn you take, you're going to take at least one card from this pyramid. There are a couple cards that let you break that rule and take two or skip your turn and then take three. And then you can play down a combination of cards and you get points for that. The points come in the form of like little chocolate money. So it's money pieces, but their foils peel back a little so you can tell it's chocolate. It takes place over three rounds. So you're going to clear the pyramid three times and whoever has the most points at the end wins. Simple as that, right? It was very easy to set up, very easy to teach to my uh, nine-year-old. My five-year-old had a little bit of trouble with it. I mean, this is obviously rated way out of her range, but she usually does okay with the eight and up games. And this one was just a little too much because she couldn't keep, she didn't understand the different hands. So I think the eight and up is probably pretty accurate on this. um, Unless, you know, they've played other games before that have different types of hands you can play down or different types of combinations of cards. uh, Because I had to help her with that. But otherwise, it was really fun. It was very quick. It was very easy. I could see playing this with other gamers in like 10 minutes. Just most of the time, it's going to be shuffling and setting out the cards because you know what you need, and you're just going to draw them as quickly as possible. So there is a bit of a push-your-luck element in here because you are, you might have a 1, 2, 4, 5 of yellow, and you just need that one yellow 3, and there's like two or three face down yellow cards. And you're like, well, the odds are one of them might be a three, but I don't know which one. And you have to draw it and hope it's right. So that's always frustrating or fun. <laughs> there's also some cards that let you change the color or the number. And there are some wild cards as well, either wild numbers or wild colors. So you do have flexibility. Like I helped my daughter put a hand together where she got a flush, a straight flush, but she played a modifier card on all but one of those five cards. And I had to like very slowly walk both of them through like, this is how this works. Cause they looked at it and they're like, that is not remotely what you said it is. <laughs> it's like, not only is that not one, two, three, four, five, those aren't the same color. <laughs> they're in the wrong order. And I'm like, no, 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 hold on. This is how it works. So that, that kind of stuff can be a little much for the kids, but overall I'm really impressed. I really like this a lot. So I would give this a strong play for your family. I honestly, I feel like this is a buy for like game groups like if i could actually get out and play with people i would put this in the bag with point salad as a great 15 minute filler game because it's just it was a lot of fun nice yeah this looks really pretty i mean it's it's exceptionally nicely done as you mentioned also how the board sets up i mean it's just an attractive game to look at especially if it's a quick game 
and that's really what you want to put down where everyone's like yeah no i'll play you know 15 minute quick game like that because that tends to be the one where really it's got to be something that everyone's willing to jump in right away otherwise it becomes a 30 to 45 minute like well i don't know i'm not sure (laughs) do we have anything else it's like oh no that's cute it's quick sure done you know like that's really what you need here and it's really good good card quality yeah yeah they're they're a little slippery so i I do worry about how much like the shuffling is going to do to them i had the same problem with point salad and i actually ended up sleeving that game of all games okay like it's the lightest game i've ever sleeved but like (laughs) you shuffle it a lot and i was like this game's gonna get destroyed pretty quick this one sure you really only shuffle the deck once because there's enough cards in the deck to run through all of them over the three rounds. So you should have exactly enough cards to play three rounds without shuffling, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that a lot, actually. <laughs> Partially because you do carry some cards over between rounds. You can carry up to three or you carry up to the number of players in the game. So in our case, it was three. But gotcha. yeah, it's solid. It's only 20 bucks. So it's in that, you know, small box accessible lightweight kind of range and i yeah i think it fits right next to point salad not quite as good in my opinion but it was a high bar i really really like that one so this one's really solid nice i got two small games as well as i'm going through my obsession kickstarter and my covid19 clinic kickstarter which are pretty massive games so in between i got two small games out the first game up is that's my sunday This is a quick family game, mostly for children, that's all about making these ice cream cones with these little cutesy animated ice cream cones, and then trying to stack up a scoop of ice cream and a topping, and then you got a set. Now, what kind of throws a wrench into this game is, of course, because since it's a little quick game, fast game for kids and such, there are going to be a lot of those kind of Uno-esque kind of cards where you can steal from the other opponents you can also skip a turn with a brain freeze there's you know ants are going to mess things up there's going to be broken cones there's melted scoops so basically there's a lot of take that cards in the game not to worry too much there's also a that's my sunday card which is all about blocking people from doing bad things to you and then a lockdown Sunday card, which I didn't know that was actually a thing. And I worked at an ice cream parlor, but you can actually lock down your Sunday so it can't be messed with. But basically, in this game, you're going to be given eight cards. And on your turn, you're going to be able to play two of those cards. And again, the object of the game is to build these ice cream cones up. And then there is a end game condition. So if you're playing with two players, for example, there are four complete Sundays that need to be mated. And again, cone scoop topping done i'm not sure why it's a sunday but nonetheless you're going to make these up and once someone has completed that the game comes to an end and you count up the points because different cones different scoops different toppings are going to be worth different points the game itself is rather random to the point where if you don't like the vast majority of your hand you can discard this and draw back up you're going to be drawing two cards per turn regardless so your hand's going to change throughout the way. And since there's so many attack cards in the game, the locking down the Sunday is going to be essential in order to kind of win victory here. The downside of this game is the rule book is a little too obtuse for kids and families, just because, again, it's a very simple game and mainly it's the effect of the cards are going to be the thing. But you're basically working on random cards and you're basically getting what you get into your hand 
So maybe you get lucky and you can rush to victory or maybe you get unlucky and you can't lock down your Sunday and then people are picking on you for the rest of the game. What is positive about the game is the artwork is really cute and endearing. And again, it's something that kids could easily play because again, it's three parts to each Sunday. I, you know, it's one of those games where it's definitely at all, not for my crowd and not for families. This is straight up for children. I don't know if the attack cards are a little too much because there are so many ways that you can mess with other people's Sundays. But regardless, it's typically a dash to victory. I can't recommend this as a play just because I think the rules are a little too obtuse. And I think there's just a little too much randomness in the cards and also way too many attack cards. So you're going to spend a long time trying to build up a Sunday only to have it cut down again. So I'm going to say for that's my Sunday, it's a dodge. If you have little kids or family, maybe I would say maybe around 10 or about a little bit younger, they can probably handle all the different types of cards into play. But this is more of a really cute game experience than it is a game. Next up is Rare Roses. This was another Kickstarter that came out recently. And this is all about collecting rare roses in order to be able to fill out orders that come up for your flower shop. What is really interesting and unique about this game is that the tokens in the game, which represent the different roses, are two-sided. One side is a, you know, a, a type bud, and the other side's a bloom. So basically in this game, and I've seen this in some Euro games where you get a resource, and then as time goes on, the resource changes or the resource perishes, and then eventually the resource just disappears completely. So in this game, you're primarily buying flowers from the flower market, although there is a mechanic where you can buy from opponents or trade with opponents, but that gets a little iffy. Basically, you are buying from the flower market, and again, it's randomly kind of assigned based upon this bag, and you can kind of add to the bag and such and so forth and so on, but basically... As these tokens come out and as you're adding flowers out to the market, you have an opportunity to purchase these different roses. They have different price costs to them and you're purchasing them with the hopes of being able to complete different orders that are up on the board. So those orders stay up on the board until they're completed or if they're discarded throughout the game. And as I mentioned, there's a bud and then there's a bloom and then eventually the the flower fades away and gets it gets tossed. So as you're purchasing these flowers, you have to hope that you can, you know, deal with the orders as they come up because otherwise, you know, they get thrown out, which is tremendously thematic, right? If you're running a flower shop, you just can't purchase flowers for days hoping that they're all going to be able to be used. I like the idea that as the flower moves on from the bud to the bloom, it's going to be, act differently because some of the orders are going to require buds and some are going to require blooms, but the orders themselves can be filled with just the buds. And if they do, then it's filled. It's a filled order. You're going to get less money for it. If it matches with the appropriate number of buds and blooms, it could be all buds, it could be all blooms, you're going to get a perfect match and you're going to maximize your money. As the game goes on, the orders become more elaborate and score you more money and money is victory points in the game. And then there is a final bonus 
that as you're building up all of these different orders and you're collecting them throughout the game, they will be represented by a particular flower. Your own player board has a flower already on it. So if you're able to match that up the appropriate number of times, you're going to score an additional $50. So not too bad for filling just four orders. And that's pretty much the game. This game probably gets maybe a play. Again, based on the idea that when you pick these resources from the market, they do age. And they do age appropriately. And at some points, they're in a better position to score you more money based upon the orders that are out there and available. So it does give you that wondrous kind of thematic play of what it must be like to own a flower shop and, and trying to reach out in these orders. That being said, it is rather random as far as what flowers come out and also random what orders come out. So you could play it safe and get a couple of flowers of a variety of colors, or you can double down and get everything of a certain color and the order is just not coming out and your flowers are fading and there's nothing you can do about it. Or the order that you want to get is discarded off the board. So that can be very frustrating about this game that the, the, the flowers and the orders are so random and so temporary that it may not be worth your time for this particular game. It's, it's a double challenge here. Again, thematic play, uh, the randomness of the market, the randomness of the order is also somewhat thematic. So I'm going to give this a tepid play. Again, if you are very much into the theme here, it might work out for you. But as a solid game mechanic, the randomness is just a little too problematic. I wish they would have adjust the market in a more predictable way or maybe stand up until it's, you know, it's fulfilled. Maybe it goes down in money as the game goes on because you're building for something and now it's gone. And again, the idea of being able to trade or purchase flowers from other people doesn't really work out well because you're just basically giving away victory points And in the end, it's just not worth your opponent's time to give you those flowers. So again, that's my Sunday. A light dodge, unless this is absolutely positively something that you're okay with as far as the mechanics is concerned. Because again, the artwork is cute and it plays for children. Rare Roses gets a a tepid play. Again, love the thematic appeal here. But again, the randomness of the game just kind of, you know, makes it again, something more thematic than gameplay. That's a shame it's so random. It looks cool. I love the idea of an economic game around, you know, being a florist because, yeah, that's perfect. Like, nothing lasts, right? It's true. All right, so those are the games that hit our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10 second editions. So there's been so many great games out there. And oftentimes designers go back to their original editions and not just slap on an expansion or add some errata. But in fact, sometimes they actually redo their game, sometimes a hard reboot, sometimes a soft reboot. But either way, they come up with a second edition. So should you hold on to your first edition or maybe pick up the second edition? Is there even a difference between them? Here are the top 10 best second editions. Anthony, do you actually own any second editions? I own most of these. So yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think all but three. I own seven of the games we're going to talk about today. And part of that's just they're all really good games. 
and these are the additions that you can get right now. Um, part of a couple of them I actually upgraded from existing games because they're just better versions. So uh, it's it's fun to talk about it. Um, there were a few out there too I should mention. Like you're gonna say like, oh, but what about this game that has this version? These are just second editions. We didn't do third editions, fourth editions, rethemes, revamps, relaunches. <laughs> It literally had to say second edition in the name on Board Game Geek. That's how strict we were with this, because otherwise it would have just spiraled out of control. So um, if there's a game that says second edition that's not on our list and you want to call out, please let us know. Anything else? We intentionally ignored it. All right. Number 10 on the list is a relatively recent one. Nemo's War. So the original Nemo's War came out in 2009 from Victory Point Games, and it looked like it. Because Victory Point games were not known for their, well, gameplay. It's all about the gameplay. That's that's what they were known for. It's an ugly game with an ugly board. And I'm sure there's some people who love it. But you all got to know it's ugly. So it did have a lot of opportunity for tweaking and enhancement as well. Like if you go to BGG, it's rated 7.1. Um, the upgrade to the second edition, which was on Kickstarter in 2017, uh, so eight years later, has an 8.0, so a big jump, a 0.9 jump from first to second edition. And this game looks fantastic because they got Ian O'Toole to do the artwork. So it's still a solo game. I think it has a cooperative mode now, but I don't know anybody who's tried that because this is a purely solitaire game. Uh, It was designed for solitaire. And in terms of the rule changes, there's a fair number of them. I would say the major differences are the difficulty levels that are now there. So you can start on easy, normal, or hard mode. You can change the length of the game. Like they've removed some of the randomness with the calendar track, and now it's just through a draw deck. They did change some of the sequence of play as well to kind of streamline things a little bit. They updated the artwork. So every single ship token has its own art, which seems like, okay, that's cool. But no, it's really cool because there's a lot of ship tokens. They're all unique now, which is amazing. How you place the ships is different. The tests and the combat are different. The Nautilus upgrades are a little bit different. There's like a whole deck of cards. Um, It used to be printed on the board. So suffice it to say, uh, Mm -hmm. they went back to the drawing board here, Chris Taylor did, and just like revamped his entire game. And the result is, in my opinion, one of the best solitaire games, period. Like top 10, easily. One of my favorite games. So yeah, number 10, Nemo's War. Number nine is Descent second edition now descent is well known for its dungeon crawl and its fantastic miniatures just a fantastic game from fancy flight in fact they already talked a little bit about some other stuff coming out for it so again it's a huge system it's been out for quite some time it's got even some app support but from the first to the second edition you're seeing some dramatic differences so in the first edition you had a very long gameplay time and it was going to be a game night so those were going to take very very long time and a number of hours the the second edition is much shorter much more precise and easier to play multiple uh games you know in in a single game night the models here are even better than they are in the second edition and in fact you're able to actually even spawn more monsters than you were in the first edition. So more monsters, better monsters, excellent. Again, the Overlord, which is the big part of this game, because when you play Descent, someone's playing the Overlord, someone's playing this kind of dungeon master kind of situation where they're sending out creatures to take down the adventurers. The app is able to do that for you, 
But here in this game, that's really where the fun comes into play. So the Overlord plays very different in the game as far as adding monsters and activating the monsters into the gameplay. So you're able to add groups and you're able to move these groups a lot better. And again, if you ever have to manage any situation where there's a large number of miniatures out there and how you're going to activate them, you definitely want a streamlined situation. Speaking of streamlined, the hero options are much more streamlined than before. And you don't have to deal with adding orders to your characters in order to make them do things. Actually, now, in fact, everything is more streamlined and it's easier to rest, recover and attack throughout the game. In particular, I love the second edition because it adds new classes. I love more classes in any game. So you get to play the Necromancer, which is really cool. So you have a Necromancer in the game, and that's a lot of fun, especially all the other stuff that came out with it. They're, the heroes themselves get to do extra feats in the game. The uh, The attack ranges have been increased. So again, if you are playing a ranged character, it's a lot more fun than it was before, and it actually was a lot more thematic. You didn't have to deal with going back into town. A lot of those kind of fatigue and rest issues were taken care of. The cards are upgraded. You know, everything, the dice are upgraded. Everything is a lot cleaner. The rule set is a lot easier. The skill checks, which were um, added, are something that makes the characters feel more rounded. And in particular, everything about the game is sharper, cleaner, slicker and all of the pieces and all of the miniatures are so much better and when it comes down to a dungeon crawl you want a good map and this modular board does a great job that is second edition of descent all right number eight on the list is london second edition uh, first edition of this game came out in 2010 for martin wallace and his now defunct uh, former publisher tree frog games and they went ahead and revisited the game uh just seven years later, uh, with the second edition from Osprey Games, and the so if you look at the pure ratings, it, it went up a little bit. Um, I would say aesthetically, it's in my opinion a big leap. For some people, it's more of a lateral leap. It's depending, you know, what kind of artwork you like, what kind of aesthetic you like. The big thing about this version of the game is that they removed the map um, and they got rid of some of the cards. They rebalanced several things, so it's now a pure card game. Uh, the core mechanic is the same. You're building a tableau of cards. For every slot in your tableau, you're going to be paying uh, or you're going to be generating poverty, um, which is negative points at the end of the game. And the, there's a market of cards to draw from. That's all the same. But the actual cards themselves, there's been several, several changes. There's lists on uh, BoardGameGeek that kind of run through these. I'm not going to do that. So generally, though, Martin Wallace has said this is a rebalance of the game. So they've adjusted some things. Certain things cost more. Certain things cost less. The, again, the map mechanic is gone. It's just replaced by the burrow cards that you can get and put into a tableau. And in my opinion, it improves on the game significantly. It streamlines it. It makes it simpler to teach. Uh, it makes for, I would say, roughly the same size box, but it's a lot more compact in terms of how much space it takes up on the table. And I love the artwork. I love the fantastic. It's just very clean. It's very evocative of the 19th century. It's just a fantastic edition of this game. And it had been out of print for a while. So it's an, honestly the only way to get it now. So that is London second edition. All right. Next up is St. Petersburg second edition. Now St. Petersburg is a classic game. I remember playing this way back when, and again, it's all about set collection. 
And that select collection typically allows you to score money and then hopefully eventually victory points throughout the game. Now, the game itself runs through four different phases. Three phases will allow you to get money and victory points throughout the game, with the fourth phase allowing you to upgrade certain cards. So it's standard classic gameplay. The second edition adds new artwork. And again, this artwork is kind of photoshopped. It's based on some real people, including Stefan Feld and Tom Vassell. So it's a little odd and awkward, and I do kind of miss the original edition with that very neat artwork. But again, the artwork is not bad whatsoever. The components are upgraded again, so what you expect with a second edition. But really, what stands out most of all is the market that comes into play here. Now, the market itself adds a new level to the game because basically when you play the first edition, the aristocrats are going to kind of like tip the game one way or the other, and you have to play with the aristocrats. Now having the market in the game really adds a lot more balance, and that's really what the game needed because based upon player count, you really were going to be stuck sometimes with the worst cards possible. But now with the market in play, you'll be able to pick up cards. And again, based upon what cards you have and based upon where the market kind of plays out, you're going to be able to score victory points based upon market goods throughout the game. So again, it adds an extra phase to the game, which doesn't seem like much. But if you played St. Petersburg, the new phase is definitely welcomed and definitely adds the balance that it needs. It also has a couple of modules that come into play. But again, it's a second edition that really lives up to the great reputation that is St. Petersburg. All right. Number six on the list is Antique 2 second edition. Uh, the first edition of Antique came out in 2005 from Matt Gertz, our buddy and our master of the rondelle. Uh, this is one of his earlier games. And Antique 2 came out a full nine years later and re-implemented a lot of the same mechanics in that game. Um, it's been called Antique second edition antique 2 whatever you want to call it but it is essentially the same game but rebuilding the core mechanics of what works so you have new maps which allows for cities where you can choose which resource you're choosing it has neutral temples that have to be destroyed at the beginning of the game which gives you an opportunity to kind of get in there and break something there's a different city layout as well in terms of distribution there's sea areas without a city symbol um, they now count for double for the purposes of gaining navigators uh, some tweaks to some of the cards, like the Bologna card is now available for the last player in turn order, lets them kind of build additional units for free. You gain coins with each production action, and just a whole bunch of tweaks. There's a list on Board Game Geek where somebody has gone through and scoured the rulebook, and there's 16 different changes that they've listed, and then a handful more that people added to it. So basically, maps balancing and the amount of stuff you get it expedites the game a little bit it opens up opportunities and it gives you more variability in how you play it this is one of my favorite games period and i think it's my favorite matt gertz game which is saying a lot because he's done a lot of really good stuff so if you're gonna play antique you gotta play antique too and it is a fantastic second edition of the original formula Our number five is PAX Premier 2nd Edition. This was a recent Kickstarter and then I think a second Kickstarter again. And again, PAX Premier had a great reputation and came from the designer from John Company and especially Root. So again, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. And in particular, when we look at this new edition and how 
they kind of, I guess, abstractly demonstrate the 50-year Cold War between Russia and Britain. And what we're dealing with mostly is a very simplified, abstract-down version of the game. That being said, the second edition, the components that come into this game add so much to the game. The first edition, you had very basic cylinder and cubes. Here in the second edition, thanks to the Kickstarter, everything's upgraded, everything's carved out, everything is thematically representative of the time, the age, and of the different uh, groups of people involved in here. Instead of having these simple cards, you have a beautiful screen-printed cloth map. Obviously, you have metal coins because it's Kickstarter and you have to have metal coins. What really kind of stands out here, best of all, is in the second edition, the cards have been revised and the artwork has been enlarged. So you can really feel the struggle that was going out at that time and especially the little history pieces that are here in the game. And again, the revised uh, iconography. In particular, the actions have been more consolidated and simplified in order to actually be able to play the game instead of having to go back to the massive rulebook that you had to do in the first edition. There is a new victory system allowing for players to easily see who's in the lead and evaluate board position, which is essential in this game because it is really easy to lose sight of who's about to win. Here in the second edition, you don't have to worry about that at all. I also mentioned previously the rulebook was a bit of a beast, and obviously now here it's modernized and restructured, so it's a lot easier to kind of uh, get a game to the table and for someone even like me who's never played the first edition and really wasn't into these kind of heavy games, the second edition does such a fantastic job of getting this game to the table with so many different people out there. So that's why our number five is PAX Premier Second Edition. All right, number four on the list, Mansions of Madness Second Edition. So first edition of Mansions of Madness came out in 2011, designed by Corey Kaneshka, Fantasy Flight Games, Cthulhu Mythos had everything anybody could possibly want, right? Well, not quite. Um, <laughs> the game was a bit of a mess to set up and was extremely easy to mess up. So people would claim this is one of the best games you'll ever play. It's fantastic. It's like a dungeon crawl, except there's like you get to go through and solve puzzles and all these cool things you could do in the game. But it would take upwards of an hour to set up. And if you laid one card down wrong, you'd screw up the whole game. And worse yet, you wouldn't know you screwed up the game until two hours into the game because it was a two to three hour game. So Fantasy Flight decided, hey, people like this game. We want them to play it. Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Just five years later, this came out. And it replaced the person running the game with an app, which effectively removed all of the chance there, all of the risk and made it possible for people to play the game without worrying about everything breaking, right? And so you can tell, like, if you look at these games on BGG, it's a 7.3 up to an 8.1, huge jump. And some people have an issue because it's an app-based game, and some people just don't want to play those, and I totally respect that. But this game is really solidly built, you know? Not only do you have whatever comes out of the box, I think the three or four scenarios, but they've made like DLC where you can download new scenarios. They released upgrade packs where you can play the first edition content in the second edition because they changed all the scenarios. There's been two or three expansions on top of that just in the last four years. So tons and tons of content here. It is kind of expensive. It does require an app. So if those two things are deal killers for you, maybe not the best, but in terms of first to second edition improvements in terms of 
quality of life. Huge, huge jump from Mansions of Madness from first to second edition. Next up is Battlelore second edition. Battlelore the first edition was designed by Richard Borg. You know him from Memoir 44 and Command and Colors, fantastic game systems. In particular, we're seeing the Memoir 44 version kind of played into here. The first edition was about the 100-year war, and there was some fantasy elements, you know, high fantasy, generic kind of elements added to the game, but it very much played out like Memoir 44, but for fantasy, which again, not a bad thing whatsoever. But in the second edition, we see Battlelore being taken over by Fantasy Flight and the Terranoff universe. So you're probably familiar with all the different Battlelore games that are out there. And Battlelore Second Edition does a great job more than just reskinning the game. In fact, there's a lot of changes here. So, for example, you're able to have faction-specific lore cards. So instead of just having a deck of special ability cards, here, the good side or the bad side, and I'm just kind of being generic here, they're going to have cards that kind of match their particular vibe. Now, the fantasy units here are no longer generic. They, again, match that specific lore that goes with um, the Terranoff universe. In addition, unlike the Memoir 44 system that you saw in the first Battle Lore edition, here, you're not going to score straight-up victory points from knocking out units. It's one of the things that uh, Memoir 44 has here. You need to complete or capture certain areas or meet certain conditions throughout the game. There is very much a more Eurocentric feel to the game as far as that, instead of just rolling dice and knocking people out in the game. There are scenarios that are generated that you can play into the game, so it adds some replayability. There's a variety of maps, so you're able to play a lot of different things here. And one of my favorite parts of the game is that there's a point-buying system. Now, yes, there is one in the first edition, but basically you're getting a pre-pilt army here. You can mix and match. So you can figure out what scenario you're working with and what goals you need to make. And now with the base game and its expansions, you can really bring in the right units into the game. There's terrain modifiers that are not as fiddly as the first edition. It's pretty much a vastly improved edition, top to bottom. Unfortunately, it's kind of out of print, but you can still find some copies and some expansions out there. That's Battlelore Second Edition. All right. Next up, we have a game that's tangentially related to Fantasy Flight. As you can tell, these guys like to do this. Uh, <laughs> War of the Ring. So War of the Ring was originally released way back in 2004 and was published by several companies, but Fantasy Flight here in the U.S. And it was instantly one of the most renowned thematic games out there period like this was how you did licensed gaming right just brilliant off the bat and so we see a lot of the same materials in war of the ring second edition which was released in 2012 eight years later by aries games directly so if you buy this game now you're getting it directly from aries games and it changed a bunch of stuff obviously it's a higher ranked game now has a little bit higher of a rating overall they didn't really overhaul the game as much as you might think, though, to get there. They changed some character abilities. Um, Gandalf, Gollum, Merry, Peregrine. Like, some of these things were tweaked. Event cards were tweaked. The army setup has changed a little bit. Game turns were tweaked a little. 
the hunt allocation was overhauled a fair bit. So like how the shadow play how the shadow player places their dice in the hunt box is a little bit different now than what it was in the first edition. Battle resolution was kind of streamlined a little. And the hunt for the ring itself was like the whole process and steps were changed kind of from top to down. But most of the changes were like tweaks and adjustments and improvements that in general have significantly improved the experience of playing this game. If you look at the two side by side, they don't look that much different. Like the original artwork is still there. Um, John Howe, Fabio Maroni. It's it's all there. The, I like the cover a little bit better, but you know, that's it's about the same thing. It's just slightly more colorful, honestly. <laughs> it's the same picture. Um, and there was an expansion for the first edition that has been like broken up and pieces reused in other expansions. But one of the biggest things that makes the second edition so good is that they kept working on it. You know, you can get anniversary editions. I mean, you can't anymore, but you could have. Um, there are two expansions that are out and a third one on the way. And those have anniversary and limited editions. There are promos. There's all this additional content, special tins and sleeves. Like Aries Games has gone all in on this and turned it into like this. You know, it's just like a, it's the biggest piece of my collection because I've bought so much stuff to go with it. And I'm proud of that and I'm happy about that. And the second edition is what makes that possible and gives us the best version of what is my favorite game. So War of the Ring, second edition is our number two. And our number one game is a Game of Thrones, the board game, second edition. This is kind of to clarify that there is the first edition out there, a Game of Thrones. The second edition obviously takes things up a lot of different levels. So first up, graphical design. Now, there's always a challenge and there's always a benefit sometimes when you get a second edition. Usually, usually, Coliseum, usually it is a upgrade. But when you're playing a Game of Thrones, typically what the challenge happens to be is can you easily identify everything on the board quickly and easily because you have to figure out how much trouble you're in or who's actually vulnerable throughout the game. So the aesthetics aside the functionality of the art the practicality of the art really needs to be upgraded and it was in the second edition so the game's a lot easier to see the map is a lot bigger as part of the board and that really plays a big piece into this game because the game is a pretty lengthy game and you do want to have a map that does represent properly westeros but also everything that you need to see at a glance next is the victory track, which is really a wonderful addition in this game because otherwise, again, you're going to have to count up on the board exactly where everybody is and see where they are, again, based upon the victory condition that comes into the game. So by having this victory track, the game is constantly updated. And again, it seems like a very small thing, but again, since the game has so many pieces and is so much artwork in the game, so many moving parts, Again, this is much, much simpler and a lot more streamlined and lends itself to better gameplay. Next, the house cards. Basically, you're going to have a particular house in the Game of Thrones, and basically you're fighting for Westeros. So you're taking over kingdoms. You are aligning yourself with certain other houses as you try to conquer the different regions in the game and the trade as times move on here too. But initially, the house cards were super powerful and really determine gameplay here. They do have a presence, but they're not overwhelming. I should also mention all of the game pieces. I already mentioned the board art, but the game pieces are all upgraded. They're beautiful looking. 
they're still abstracted. We're not dealing with plastic miniatures throughout the board, but you're adding pieces that do make sense in the game. And it does feel like one of those scenes from Game of Thrones where they're pushing the different map pieces on the board. So it is a beautiful upgrade to the game, but it's not overwhelming and doesn't distract from the game itself. In addition to all of that, and usually what the most important thing for a second edition is an upgraded rulebook. And the upgraded rulebook here is fantastic because it's been rewritten from the bottom up. And in particular, since you can play five and six players in this game, and really, to be honest with you, since the game isn't modular, you really do want to play with a maximum player count. A streamlined rulebook is essential. This is a long game with a lot of rules. A streamlined rulebook makes or breaks the game. Now, there's other things in the, in the game that really kind of tweaks and makes the game a lot better. There's consolidating power, which is a lot easier. New move orders, which is a lot easier. You're also going to see a lot of additions throughout the game that just tweak things just a little bit. Like, for example, the Wildling attack cards um, are a much better addition to this game. And how everyone plays into those makes a big difference. The ports, the Tides of Battle deck. The Battle deck here really makes all the difference in the world when it comes down to battles. So things aren't as just deterministic as the game goes on. There's a lot of other things. This is a massive game with their expansion. Just so much to add to the game, but it's an epic, epic game that is truly worthy, finally, of a Game of Thrones. And in fact, they're going to have a digital edition that you'll be able to pick up pretty soon. So that's it. Our number one game for our top 10 second editions. We hope that you enjoyed the list. Hope you have an opportunity to play these second editions because all of these games do upgrades and do upgrade the play on the first edition. All right, until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.